We are uh, in week four of our Heart to Heart series, where we've been meeting with Jesus one-on-one, these conversations in uh, John, where he meets with these people who are in need of a Savior, in need of God, who are in need of people to come alongside him and glorify God together. We're going to be in John 9, so as you open your Bible to that or your approved electronic devices, let me just tell you where we've been in this series and um, paint a picture of who Jesus is through these things. Week one, we met with the tempter in the desert, and Jesus challenged how we understand temptation and how he realigns our priorities in life. And week two, we watched a little Nick at night. We were in John 3, and Nicodemus came, and Jesus talked with him and challenged him and how we understand truth and invited us to walk in the light, how those who walk in the darkness fear the light because their deeds will be shown. And last week was week three, and we talked with the woman who testified, the woman at the well in John 4, who was uh, a little bit annoyed with Jesus when he first showed up, but then was overwhelmed by his gratitude because he was challenging her and asking us what we thirst for and how thirsty hearts can be used in our world and with the people around us. John 9 is one of, if not my favorite stories in the entire Bible because we meet one of the sassiest people in the entire New Testament. And I'm gonna read a little bit about his story and then we're gonna, we're gonna dive into why this is an important and then uh, we're gonna come to the end where we meet face to face with Jesus once again. So in John 9, it says this. Now, as Jesus was passing by, he's still in Jerusalem at this point, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. Then... The neighbors and the people who had seen him previously as a beggar began saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some people said, this is the man, while others said, no, but he looks like him. The man himself kept insisting, I am the one. So they asked him, how then were you made to see? And he replied, the man called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, where is that man? And he replied, I don't know. 
So there's a lot of things happening in this story, and we're actually just gonna stop right there for a second, because I wanna unpack a little bit of what Jesus does in this encounter. And then we're gonna get into um, some of the sassier things that this man who used to beg says. Um, This story comes directly after chapter seven and eight, where Jesus has what I consider to be the pinnacle of John. The most important scenes in John are in seven and eight, and they take place in front of the Pharisees where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and he actually calls them sons of the devil. Now, as you are a religious leader, picture this in your brain, you're a religious leader, you wear a suit to church every Sunday, you know the law forward and backwards, and then some outsider, some rebel, some dirty guy comes in and says, you know what, what you're teaching here, what you're doing every Sunday, that's from the devil. (laughs) That challenges you where you sit. That challenges your authority. That challenges you to start to say, hey, wait a second, this guy is pushing back on some of the things that I've believed in for a really long time. But that wasn't even his boldest claim. I can maybe push aside the insults, but when I say, who are you to call me the son of a devil to make that claim? Well, I am he. I am my father. I am the one. I am He who has been sent to reveal all these things to you. And so what did they do? They sat down and talked with them and they had a great discussion over it and they came to their differences and they decided that they were both a little bit headstrong and maybe they both needed to change their ways. No, that's not what happened. They ran at him and they picked up stones and they tried to kill him on the spot. And so Jesus slips through the crowd at the end of John 8, and as he's walking out of the temple, he sees this man. And he says, you know what? This would be a great opportunity for everyone to gather around and witness the things that I have just said and just claimed to be and just not just claimed but revealed to you. I've opened your eyes to the ways of God. I've opened your ears to the way of God. Now I want to show you, I want to prove to you, not that I need to prove it at all, that I am the son of God. I am the son of man. The best way to show that you are the Messiah is to perform the one sign specifically associated with being the Messiah. In the Old Testament, God was the only one associated with giving sight to the blind. There is no story in the Old Testament, no miracle recorded of a blind man receiving sight in the Old Testament because that was God's ability alone. And in three different places in Isaiah, healing the blind is considered to be a messianic activity. The one who is to come will open the eyes of the blind. Okay, now, Jesus has gone to the religious leaders and said, I am the one who will open the eyes of the blind. And they picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. And he said, you know what? Let's, do, let's just do a little thought experiment here. Let me literally go and open a man's eyes sitting outside the temple where you religious leaders have ignored him and we'll see who is telling the truth. 
except that's not what happens at first, is it? Because we meet the man who used to beg. We meet this blind man who has no name, by the way. And the first inclination is to ask, why? Why is he suffering? Essentially, the disciples are asking the question, who is responsible for this man hurting? Who is responsible for this man's suffering? Who is responsible for the bad things happening to him? Was it his parents? There was a a deep theological idea in the Jewish community that the sins of the father would be uh, given to the sins of the son, that anything that happened to the parents would be passed down to the son. This comes from the um, book of uh, Exodus in the, the Ten Commandments, where it says, I will uh, push the sins of the father through many generations, three or four generations, onto the children. But that's not specifically what it says. It's not saying, I will push physical maladies on the generations. Jesus was saying that unbelief will continue happening for generation after generation. The word sin in the gospel of John means unbelief. And so when we put it into the context of who was it that sinned, it wasn't that someone messed up and that God punished them for it. It was that someone did not have belief. And so he turned blind. But Jesus now comes to us and says, "Mm, let's rethink that question. Who is responsible? Look at this terrible situation and tell me why has it happened? This is our question as well in life, isn't it? That I'm with you guys. Why did COVID happen? Again, such an arrogant thing to ask of ourselves. Why Hurricane Katrina? Why 9-11? Why AIDS? Why the Holocaust? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do the arrogant and the proud and the wealthy always seem to prosper? They don't seem to be suffering at all, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us, the teacher. They look like they're having a great time with all their wealth and all their buildings and all their land and all their people around them. They're not suffering at all. So shouldn't I just try and be as rich as I can? Why did I lose my job? Why, why, why? And it's natural to ask why in any situation where something bad happens to us. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. This morning as I was loading the car to bring the stuff here, I bent over and my, I, I put pressure on my keys and my car alarm went off in the garage. And my first inclination was not, Why did the car alarm go off? Why is the car doing this? My first inclination was, how can I get it to stop? How can I get this bad situation to stop happening? I had the power to do it, and so I did it. I didn't need to stop and question, why is the alarm going off? Instead of starting at why, Jesus wants us to start at how. And you're like, okay, how did this happen? No, 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 no. That's the same question as why did it happen? See how they're 
Why did it happen and how did it happen? That's the same question. That's not the question Jesus is asking us. Jesus wants us to start at how can I help? How can I end your suffering? How can I use this situation to glorify God? So let's talk a little theology here for a second because it seems that Jesus is saying that all suffering is so that Jesus so that God can be glorified. He's come upon this man who who sinned him or his parents that he would be afflicted like this. That seems to be the question. And then Jesus responds, neither sinned, but was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through him. So it seems to us as we read this in a very literal sense that what Jesus is saying is that this man was born blind so that God could be glorified. Now, in our Western mind, in our world, we want to take that situation and we want to pull it to every situation. Bad things must have happened so that God could be glorified. God must have caused this situation to happen so that we would start to worship him. That would cause us to assume that God is the source of all sin and all suffering in the world. That if God caused this man to be blind, that he did it so that he could suffer, and so that God could then be glorified in place of that. This is just fundamentally and theologically untrue. If we read the story that way, we're gonna, we're gonna go to some very dark places about what we think God is, who we believe him to be what, he be, what we believe he's responsible for. Jesus points out that in this particular case, this man was born blind. Now we have an opportunity to reveal God's work in, around, and through those that oppose God to accomplish God's purpose. Suffering takes on a different context when we are believers. There is no explanation for the horrors of the 20th and 21st centuries or tragedies inflicted in our personal lives, except that through them, it's an opportunity to reveal God to those around us, to accomplish God's purpose. Yes, bad things happen, but now it's about our response. How can God be revealed through this? The scriptures constantly remind us that God is not the author of sin and suffering. The devil is. And humans have bowed down to worship him from the very beginning of our creation. This is what Jesus meant when he proclaimed that the Pharisees were sons of the devil. They don't carry out the purpose. They don't carry out the will of the father. They bow to the devil and his lies. They proceed to do his will and not the will of the Father. If the things we do don't reveal God, then they are for ourselves. They are for our own glory. And Jesus rebukes the Pharisees at the end of chapter eight in that same regard. What are you doing here? If they're not for God, if they're not for the one who has sent you to do these things, then they are for you. They're only for you to look great. 
And this is our purpose behind everything. How can I reveal God in this tragedy? How can I reveal God in this bad news? How can I take what this is and show my response knowing who God is? Notice the question, how is a doing word where why is an intellectual pursuit? And Jesus has a much deeper response to the problem of pain. It's just not a question of why did this happen? How did it happen? Who's responsible for this? Jesus is like, that question is boring to me. That question, it shouldn't even be asked because you see a person suffering and your first inclination is to say, who's responsible for this? Shame on you. Because when Jesus comes across someone who is in pain, this man did not ask to be healed. This man was not begging Jesus for an answer, for a new life, for sight. Jesus came across him and said, this is a man who's in pain, and this is an opportunity to solve a problem in the name of God. Where you see suffering and ask why, I see suffering and say, let me show you God's glory. He could have just explained, let's just look to heaven, because that's the perfect environment. We're not quite yet there, and so we're always going to live in a tragedy-filled world. We're just waiting for God to renew all things. Here's a, a Bible study or a pamphlet to read. Here's a, a sermon that picks apart the problem of pain and helps end suffering. He could have done any of those things, but what he did instead was say, hey, I know, let's glorify God together. Let's glorify God as a community through this suffering which, by the way, is a terrible answer for us. It's a great answer for God. It's a great answer for Jesus. I mean, Jesus gave it, so it's a good answer regardless. But it is so terrible for us because we can't heal the blind. We can't see the suffering of other people and say, you know what? Good, I've solved your problem. You are now rich. You now have a job. Everyone that you ever lost has now come back to life. We can't do that, but we can show God through those circumstances. It doesn't help us who are hurting and looking for answers. Well, you know what? This is just an opportunity to glorify God. Yeah, I get it. Thank you. And you can take that and you can walk away because it doesn't help me heal. That's what I need right now, God. I need some pragmatic answers. In fact, it's such a bad answer to this question. It's such a bad response to this whole situation that nobody believes him. Nobody believes this guy. And so his neighbors get involved. And this is the part of the story that gets really, really funny. Because whenever your neighbors get involved in something like this, things start to go a little bit haywire. They said, hey, isn't that Gary? It can't be Gary. Gary is blind. No, it is me. It's me, Gary. Trust me, it's me. Notice how Gary can't be recognized without his disability. His neighbors don't know him at all. Gary's identity is his blindness. Well, that can't be Gary anymore because Gary's blind. 
So his neighbors think that they're being really helpful here. So he said, they say, I know, let's take him to the Pharisees. They'll sort this whole thing out. And so they ask him, tell us what happened. And he's like, I said this four times already. This guy came up, he spit on the ground, he put mud on my eye, and then he told me to go and wash in Siloam, and here I am, I can see again. And so then the Pharisees, being holy men, they're like, yes, the holy man is here with us now. The world is about to change. No. They see this story and they look right through it. And they're like, he cannot be a holy man. He is not religious because he healed on the Sabbath. He broke the law. So there's no chance that he can be from God because he is a sinner. This is outrageous that this man would come in here and say that he was healed by this man who's nothing but a filthy sinner. And so some of them saw through this whole charade. This Gary wasn't blind at all. Gary has never been blind. He's just some random guy that came in and said, well, I was blind and this guy healed me and, you know, here I am now. Everything's great. So here's what they do. They take it up another level. They say, you know what? The Pharisees aren't helping us. Let's go grab his parents. His parents will be able to solve this problem for us. So the, they're standing in front of the Pharisees and his parents, God bless them, but they just don't take responsibility for this. They're like, yeah, he is our son and he was born blind, but we don't have any idea who's responsible for his sight. You know what you should do? You should ask Gary how he, lost, how he got his sight back because he'll be able to tell you. He's of an age where he'll be able to explain the whole thing. See, they were a bit evasive because they really feared what the Pharisees could do for them or would do to them if they were to tell the truth about this. So the Pharisees demand from this man who used to beg, this unnamed man, Give the glory to God. If the person that we think you're talking about healed you, we know him as a sinner. So we need you to just forget about that guy, just give the glory to God, and we can all move on from this. And this is what he says, and it's so sassy, and it's unbelievably beautiful. He says, isn't it ironic that you, our religious leaders, don't even know where he comes from, yet he gave me sight. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does respond and work through those who worship him and do his will. No one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a blind person from birth. This man must have come from God. Otherwise, this miracle would not be possible. Only God can do such things. Do you really need me to say it over and over again? He says this, are you thinking about joining up with him and becoming his disciples? Why don't you go and ask him yourself? I've already told you six times now. This man saw me and now I can see him. And isn't it ironic that you were the ones that could see, but you can't see him? Now, Jesus reappears on the scene. He's been absent this whole time, by the way. This is a story about Jesus, and he's not even here, which is great, because 
this makes me think of the church nowadays where we just sit around and argue about this is who Jesus is and this is who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, well, I'll come back and I'll tell you who I am. It's not gonna be that hard. And so Jesus comes back on the scene and it says, after he had heard that the man had been thrown out, he said to him, do you believe in the son of man? And so this is the question now that Jesus is offering him. The man says, I think he's a prophet. And then he slowly says, I think he's been sent from God. And then here Jesus asks the big one, do you believe in the son of man? The man replied, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus told him, you have seen him. He is the one speaking to you. And then he calls him Lord and worships him. For judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see me may gain their sight and those who see may become blind. Now, some of the Pharisees, who are still a little bit sassy at this point, heard him say this and asked, are we not blind? We are not blind too, are we? You're not the ones that we're talking about being blind, are we? And he said, well, you said it, not me. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now because you claim that you can see your guilt remains. Wait, no, wait. No, I, I said I, was, I could see, but wait. Ooh, he got him good. See, Jesus is challenging our understanding of community. He's looking right at us and saying, you know what? Everyone has failed this man. The religious leaders failed him the community, his neighbors failed him. His parents backed away and failed him. No one would take responsibility. The man tells the truth even in the face of threats. He's thrown out of the temple for telling the truth. He's standing there and he wants to, the, the, the Pharisees want to change his story. And as everyone around him abandons him, he says, I was blind and now I see. Again and again and again and again. I was blind, but now I see. This is a story about before and after. It's not a story about us, it's not a story about them, it's a story about what happened before and what comes after. The greatest way to reveal the glory of God is to say, I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain my life right now. But all I know is this. I used to be this kind of person, but now I'm like this. I can't explain it. I once was blind, but now I see. And unfortunately, the Pharisees are so obsessed with controlling the story, with controlling the narrative. And the man just stands proud and says, all I know is this. There was a picture of me by the well begging every day. And everyone abandoned me. And no one wanted to help me. That was me before and then this man came into my life. 
and now I can see. Sometimes when the sun is really bright and I leave the house for the first time in the morning, the sun is really bright and my first instinct is just to squint. So bright that we have to look away. The truth of who Jesus is gets us to squint. It gets us to look away. Jesus has come into the world so that those who do not see may gain their sight. And he challenges us on this. That as a community, we've spent enough time squinting away from the light. That as a community, as people, we need to find those opportunities to glorify God so that his name is known, not ours. Here's the last thing I'll say about this is that Jesus finds the man when he's been cast out. He comes to him when he's on the outside of the temple at the well and he heals him and he says, yeah, you're good now, you're good to go. Jesus doesn't leave him there though. Every single time Jesus comes back and heals us and says, give the glory to God. He comes back and he finds us when we've been abandoned, when we've been hurt, when we've been left by the well time and time again. Jesus shows up and he says, I know you've been cast out. I know that you are hurt. Just look at me. And we'll get better together. We'll get better together. This is the conversation that Jesus has come to have with us. To say if you are people of the light, you are going to live in a certain way. That you're no longer gonna see the bad things that happen as an opportunity to ask for responsibility, but as an opportunity to say, how can I step in and end your suffering? How can I step in and glorify God in this situation? And it might not be the answer we're looking for and it might not be the end of our suffering completely, but God is gonna get glory and that's always the right answer.